0: There, and welcome to Coming Back, a podcast about coming back to life after loss. On today's show, we'll talk to clinical psychologist and author, Dr. Gladys Otto, about her new book, The Good Goodbye, and how reframing loss can help all of us have a good goodbye. Also on the show today, I am excitedly unveiling my next project, and I'll tell you how you can help. I'm Shelby Forsythia, an intuitive grief guide who speaks, writes, and teaches the transformational power of grief and loss. My mom's death in 2013 set me on the path to becoming a lifelong student of grief, and I use what I learned to equip others with the knowledge to heal and remind them that they are not alone, because even through grief, we are growing. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Coming Back. Welcome back. Welcome to 2018. All that jazz. I am so excited to be with you on a regular basis again. In case you missed it, Coming Back will now be released in seasons. So this episode is the first of 12 weekly episodes. After 12 episodes, I'll be taking another break, just like I did this holiday season, and returning to you with fresh material in May. For more information on this change, uh, please check out episode 28 of Coming Back called What's Next? Plus a Gift, where you can hear more about Coming Back's new format and receive a link to my top five must-read grief books for 2018. This is a really cool episode today because the author of one of the books that I recommended for this year, Dr. Gladys Otto, who wrote The Good Goodbye, will be joining us later for a deep conversation on her losses and what led her to reframe the idea of goodbye. But this is also a really cool episode because I'm announcing my next big project and all the different ways that you can support it. So as many of you know, I've been podcasting since last May, since May of 2017. And this show is a literal piece of my heart. It's a way not just for me to tell my story, but to create a platform for others to tell their stories. Coming Back acts as a resource bank for books and articles and speakers that resonate with anyone who has lost. But what's neat is that over time, it's also become a little gathering space, this little corner of the internet for all of you listeners who have just lost someone or are working on losses from years ago, or are trying to help somebody you love navigate their own loss journey. It is so Wild to me and so, so cool that this podcast has grown and taken on a life of its own. I've had some listeners contact me in the past few months, especially around the holiday season, asking, how can we give back to this? This show has given me vocabulary for talking about loss, or helped me be willing to grieve in front of my kids, or put me in touch with the book that really gave me some hope in this. How can I thank you? I don't live in Chicago where you offer your grief classes. How else can I stay in touch with you? And I thought about this during my time away and did some brainstorming because I was just overwhelmed with this idea and overwhelmed with gratitude for all of you out there who listen and are asking these questions. And after some research and some consulting with other podcasters, I decided that the best thing to do for the show was to create a way for all of you to say thank you. And then for me to turn around and say thank you right on back. So, you're thanking me for thanking you. So I'm thanking you back. And it's kind of, uh, think of it as this reinforcing cycle of gratitude for the fact that this show exists in the world. And that decision that I came to was to create a Patreon page for coming back. Now, for those of you who have never heard of a Patreon, I'll let you know that it's a website for artists to create something to be supported by the people who love the work that they do. If you remember in the olden days, painters and inventors and boat captains would be supported by people called patrons, and they would buy their paints and build their machines and go on their world expeditions with the financial support and the good wishes of people who loved the work that they did. Fast forward to modern day and now thanks to the internet, anyone anywhere can support work that they love from podcasters like me, to musicians to painters to comedians, month by month with the click of a button. So logistically, it looks like this. If you love my show, if you love coming back and the work that I do, and you want to give a little something back, head on over to patreon.com slash Shelby for Scythia and sign up to become a patron of my work, somebody who supports the work that I do. Then you can choose how much you'd like to support starting as low as $1 a month. And once a month on the first of the month, that beautiful bit of support from you will be sent to me. This is a way to say thank you for the work that I do. It's a way to pay me for my time uh, producing and editing and broadcasting this show. So many of you know I do this all by myself. And it's a way for me to stay in even deeper touch with you by offering really cool uh, behind the scenes stuff and even gifts to the folks who chip in to support the show every month. And yes, I said gifts. I'm so excited about these. This is my favorite part of being on Patreon. Uh, Just like the podcast, I cannot leave you without giving you you something. And I don't want you to walk away empty handed because I am just so, so grateful for your ongoing support of the show. So, for anyone who pledges $3 per month, you'll get this really beautiful set of digital wallpapers that I made all with the podcast tagline, Even Through Grief, We Are Growing. And these are good for your laptops, your iPads, your phones, your Androids. I'm a person that changes out my phone wallpaper all the time to reflect my mood or what I support or what I'm going through, or even with like cool quotes that inspire me. Um, so, these are all really beautiful floral images of things that are growing. And the text over top says, Even Through Grief, We Are Growing. It design these myself. And so you'll get that when you pledge $3 per month. I will also say your first name during the credits of the first podcast that airs after you pledge. Uh, You'll get an invite to my private Facebook group, the grief growers garden if you're not there already. And you will get instant and continuing access to posts that I am only putting on Patreon literally nowhere else on the internet will these posts be found grief growers, if you pledge $12 per month, you get everything from $3 a month pledge group, and I will actually send you something in the mail. Yes, I will actually send you coming back swag. I designed these beautiful little stickers that have the podcast logo on them, one circle and one square. And then you get a third sticker. That's kind of a neat, uh, longer rectangle that says even through grief, we are growing. So that tagline comes up again. I'm a person who loves to put stickers on my notebook and my laptop and my bike helmet and light poles and everything everywhere I can stick things. Uh, So these are just really cool. If you want a physical piece of the show, I will also be mailing you a handwritten because who does that anymore? A handwritten note expressing my thanks, you'll get to see what my handwriting looks like, which is actually kind of fun. And grief growers, if you pledge $33 a month, you'll receive everything from the $3 per month pledge group and the $12 per month pledge group and a monthly invitation to a private patrons-only hour-long Google Hangout where you can ask me anything about grief or loss or my life or the podcast. You can use this as a private coaching session or a mentoring session. You can ask for behind-the-scenes info about the show, or we can shoot the shit about the golden girls or grief in the five love languages. If you want, we can literally talk about anything that's on the table for you. This time is my gift to you to thank you for supporting me in such a great way. Grief Growers, other podcasts put ads in their show to make money, which I've I really don't want to do I don't get paid to sponsor any of the content or the books or the websites or the people that I promote here. This is all stuff. This podcast is all stuff that I genuinely love and recommend and has helped me or helped somebody else through their loss. And sometimes podcasts will also do this thing where they put up a paywall in order for listeners to actually access their show, where they have to pay a dollar a show or three dollars per show or ten dollars for a whole package of shows. And I don't believe in that for coming back either, you guys. I believe that grievers should have access to as much free support as possible. And if they want to support in return, that should be their choice. So. If you agree with that, or again, you just really want to say thank you for a small way that this show has helped you along, or if you really just want some cool stickers or wallpapers or one-on-one time with me, please head on over to patreon.com slash Shelby and click become a patron right now. And I will absolutely positively put this link in the show notes for this episode and for all future episodes going forward. I want to take this moment to, to Shout out to those listeners who have already pledged to support the show. I have been crying and screaming and running around my room slash recording studio with joy and gratitude and amazement because there is so much support out there for this hard work of mine. So thank you to the very first inaugural group of Coming Back patrons. Thank you to Connie. Thank you, Albert. Thank you, Alyssa. Thank you so much, Emily. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Tanya. And thank you, Safina. I am so, so grateful for your support and your gifts are on their way to you right now. I'm so looking forward to seeing where you put those stickers. And I'm looking forward to chatting with you on this month's private Google Hangout grief growers, I never dreamed that this would be my life. I knew when I was little that I wanted to talk for a living. But I never thought that I would be talking about grief. And I never thought that my platform or media of choice would be a podcast. But that's, that's how it's all weirdly panned out. And somehow it's working for me and for you and for all of us. And I couldn't be more grateful for this time that I live in where I can reach all of you across the world for free. It literally blows my mind. And I couldn't be more grateful for all of you who have continued to send me messages of support and encouragement and truth. This podcast is truly my heart's work, and I'm going to keep on doing it. So if you would like to support the show going forward, please go to patreon.com. That's p a t r e o n.com slash Shelby for Scythia to become a patron today, or click the link in the show notes to jump right to my page. If you have questions about how Patreon works or just want to see what those uh, stickers look like, join me this Monday, January 8th at 1 o'clock Central Time on Facebook Live on my Facebook page. And thank you so much again for being a listener of Coming Back. Next up is my interview with Dr. Gladys Otto, who came back and wrote a book about it. We'll talk childhood loss, facing large-scale change, and how we can all create a good goodbye. Goodbye. Dr. Gladys Otto is a clinical psychologist, leadership and personal growth expert, speaker, and author of the book, The Good Goodbye, How to Navigate Change and Loss in Life, Love, and Work. She champions individuals and organizations to thrive through change and reach their full potential. Her website, Bridging Consciousness, was founded in 2016, and in less than a year, was named one of the top 50 consciousness websites in the world. Dr. Otto was recognized as a Latina leader by Hispanic Executive Magazine, a Women Worth Watching winner by Profiles in Diversity Journal, and has been featured on NPR, The Unmistakable Creative Podcast, NBC News, Thrive Global, Thought Catalog, Elephant Journal, and other publications. Today, she works with clients through private mentoring, online courses, and speaking engagements. You can find her strolling through the streets of San Francisco with her pup, Lovebug, hunting for estate sale treasures, nourishing her passion for style, and satisfying her foodie palate. Welcome to Coming Back. I'm so excited to have you here today to talk about not just your new book, but your grief journey as it has transformed your life so far and all the things that you've said goodbye to and how that has transformed your life. So Gladys, if you could, can you start us off with your loss story or your experience with loss in your lifetime?
1: Sure. You know, it's, it's interesting because as I look back at my life, I feel like loss is something that has been weaved in all throughout my entire life. Starting with the first time that my, um, I went through a personal loss with my godmother dying when I was a little girl, and the most transformative loss that I went through being the death of my mother uh, when I was 28 years old in 2003. And the death of my mom was such an impactful experience, not only because she was my mommy, and I really think that there is something very profound about losing your mother, Uh, but also the way that we lost her. Uh, She died from a brain aneurysm. So on a Thursday, we were all here in San Francisco. It was the first time that I was getting to display my art to the world. I've drawn my entire life. I also dabbled in painting, but I was almost a a closet artist. And it was a chance to actually get out of the closet and showcase my work. My mom was there. My dad was there. My family, my friends were there. And my mom had been planning a trip to Mexico around Christmas. And we said, you can't be gone for Christmas, mommy. We have to spend the holidays together. And she said, well, now you'll know what it's like to not have me around anymore. And I remember hearing the anymore and thinking, well, that's a little odd, but just went along with dinner. And the next morning, she died from a brain aneurysm. So it was very devastating and also at the same time, incredibly transformative in terms of the path that my life Ended up being on afterwards.
0: Oh my gosh! I just got chills as you were telling that story because it seems like the first thing that came to my mind was: Did she have some kind of inner knowing that this was happening, or conscious Mm. knowing, or was this all subconscious? And I don't, I don't know how
1: better to phrase that. But did she know this was coming? You know, I've wondered when we, you know, when I get together with my family and we talk about my mom. Little stories start to come out. My aunts sharing how earlier that same year, my mom had gone to my grandmother and asked her for forgiveness. Where uh, there was an annual mass that my family held, where a priest from Mexico that was part of the family—my mom was from Mexico—he would come to California, and all my family members would convene together. And I have fifty first cousins, so my my Mexican side of wow. my family is humongous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not 15 one five at 50 it's huge so whenever this priest would come there were guaranteed 150 to 200 people at minimum there to to be part of this mass and the priest had asked is anyone here ready to die Like you're not afraid to die, and my mom raised her hand very boldly, like proud. I'm not afraid to die. I'm ready, you know, not from a place of I'm ready to end my life because I'm miserable, but more of no fear around it. And it is interesting that all of that happened within the year before she passed. And it did. It does make me wonder and believe that we do have an inner knowing, although our consciousness, our mind, might not put the link together in a way that we are saying to ourselves, okay, I'm going to die on November 7th, right? Or I've got a month left, but rather it's just uh, maybe a knowing that our time is coming and unconsciously we end up preparing for it in ways that might not make sense to, to others. I'm interested because you've mentioned
0: a mass, a priest, and the question, are you ready to die? So I'm kind of curious what your upbringing was like in terms of talking about death and loss and, and preparing to die and whether or not it was an open place for conversation in your household or whether it was all kind of religious leaning and you had to do X, Y, and Z before you died? Or or how did you grow up thinking about death, grief, loss, getting to say goodbye, kind of that whole entire conversation?
1: Well, my father was very matter of fact about death. So it was actually a conversation that he would bring up very factually, almost like he was talking about, these are bananas, these are apples, these are oranges, you die, right? And his, (laughs) (laughs) his experience was really one that shaped by his own life. So he had worked, he's from Peru, so I'm Peruvian Mexican, and he had worked in a hospital where he was dealing with cadavers on a regular basis. And so he saw death in a very concrete way. Mm -hmm. And he brought that understanding to our upbringing. And so my sister and I grew up with the messages of understanding that we're all going to die that death is not something that we should be afraid of, that it's just a body. And he would even go as far as breaking down, you know, what happens to your body after you pass away. So in some ways we could we could understand death as in terms of a very concrete format. But then there was also the spiritual part of it. And that's where religion definitely played in. And it we were, grew up with those stories that you do good here on earth. And if you do good, you go to heaven. If you don't, you go to hell. And although that wasn't really reinforced in my home, it was definitely a part of the message that I received when I went to school when I was a little girl. So I went to a Catholic school from fourth grade until eth- eighth grade. And we just got those messages all the time. So Catholic guilt is very real. It's very strong and alive. And it led to this feeling of really wanting to do our best in life to make the most of it. But what it also did for me personally was instill a little bit of fear. Because if as a girl, when you're growing up... You take things so literally and that kind of message could easily be translated into if I do anything wrong, I might go to hell and it can become a fear-based belief. So I actually remember in high school being very afraid of anybody in my family dying so much so that when I would drive home from high school, uh, I I would remember myself saying, dear Lord Jesus, if anybody... In my family is going to go, please take all of us so no one has to suffer. And this would be a regular prayer that I would say every week. And I can't explain why or how that started other than believing that there was an underlying level of fear around our sense of safety and sense of protection in the world in general. And for my family... It, and this is something that I didn't share with, with my parents. So this is actually, I think this is probably the first time I'm sharing it out loud in public, which is such a beautiful way to do things, right? If you're going to tell I'm somebody, not- you might as well tell the whole world. <laughs> <laughs> and subscribe to that school of thought as well. Totally. <laughs> so yeah, I, it was really fascinating to witness myself having such deep worry about losing anyone in my family. So I'm interested
0: now, you said that your godmother died when you were younger and then your mom died when you were 28. Were you afraid for either of them or for yourself after that happened?
1: No. When my godmother died, I I was super close to her. She was in some ways my angel, uh, my guardian angel, I feel like here on earth. And when she died, I remember it being incredibly devastating. I think I was around 10 years old at the time. And going to her funeral uh, at the At the church, I remember believing that everyone in that church was playing a really cruel joke on me. Uh, I remember going up to her casket and seeing her body and Saying to her, "This isn't real. You're alive. I see you breathing." I I mean, I was staring at her. I'm like, "I know you're alive. I see you have life still in you." And then turning around to face a congregation and just thinking, "This is all a horrible joke." And it wasn't anything that led to me feeling like somehow I I was next or I was afraid for my own self. And same thing with my mother. I think after she died. Again, the devastation of losing a mom is so deep, and everything uncoiled for me. It really led to more of a a deeper groundedness in my own truth rather than leading me to be even more fearful. But... It took a long time because as I mentioned earlier in high school, I, I really did have that just that generalized fear of something's gonna happen to our family. And if it does, then let us let let God take all of us away. That was more around the pain of suffering and people being left behind and me not being able to fix the pain, more than feeling any kind of worry about my own livelihood if that makes sense.
0: Yes. Yes, it does. How fear changes and transmute with time. Absolutely. As somebody else who has experienced the death of a mother, I am very, very familiar with, this is the first time I've actually heard anybody use this phrase, but with uncoiling and have everything Mm. just kind of literally spiral apart, just absolutely out of control. This is going to be a really big question. And I know we can't possibly have time in one podcast to answer it, but what happened to you after your mom died?
1: Oh, I fell apart. There are two things that happened to me after my mom died. It is the the complete falling apart, right? the The uncoiling and everything seeming to just fall out of my hands. And that literally did happen when I got to the hospital. And I walked into the waiting room, and so many people were there already, and my dad said, "'The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh mehah,' and I broke down, and somebody handed me a glass of water. And I remember standing in the middle of that room, holding the glass of water, trying to understand what happened, but then noticing how badly my hand was trembling.' and just saying let it go. Just let it go. Like I can't hold this cup up but you have to hold a cup up but I can't hold it anymore. I just need to let go. My mother's death for me was so powerful because I had such an unexpected experience at her funeral. When we actually buried her at the cemetery and I talk about this in my book, it's the this incredible moment that I give full credit to her. I believe that it was a gift that she gave me of experiencing the most profound love and joy that I ever have had in this lifetime. What I share in the book and how I describe this to people is that I was infused with her spirit. And I had this huge Outpouring of love, just my heart expanding and bursting open. And I blurted out to my father, Mommy is so happy right now. Cause I knew she was, I knew her spirit was fine. I knew this was the right thing for her. I knew that she was meant to leave this earth at that time. And it was the best thing for my family as well. And that she was fine, that she wasn't suffering, that she was dancing and she was celebrating. And to feel all of that in my own body, in the midst of the most deep, profound grief that I've ever had, was so shocking. uh, That number one, I obviously never forgot it. But secondly, it taught me that it is possible to accept and feel celebration and joy in the midst of grief and pain. And that is a big principle that has formed the foundation of my book, where I now try to show people that it is possible to grieve and celebrate at the same time, and that acceptance does not have to wait until the very end, but rather we can start with acceptance in our journeys and our grieving process can unfold with more ease. And when I say easy, I, I mean, when I say ease, I do not mean easy. And I know that people often connect those two. What I mean by ease is that you let go of some of the struggle that happens when you're holding on to what's already changed. And by releasing that, let that, that, that metaphor right of holding that cup and just letting it go and letting yourself uncoil, you actually surrender into the process of grieving in a way that doesn't require as much struggle. But it does mean you're then now in the you're in the pool of grief, and as we know, that is there's so many layers to that that can be very devastating. Um, but like I experience, can be very joyful, and then you this pendulum just keeps swinging back and forth until you find that place of integration.
0: Yes, there is absolutely this fear of going deeper. I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I can. I don't know if I'll come out alive. And the words "let go," "release," "surrender" seem to have so much behind them because there's this question of, well, what happens when I, what happens when I yeah. let go? What happens when I release? What happens when I surrender? And there's absolutely no surety in any of that. And it's absolutely mind blowing because the only answer that I've ever been able to come with 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 surrender is you will go deeper, whether it's deeper pain, whether it's deeper joy, something deeper is going to happen. You quit living this surface yeah. level of resistance and you start getting into like the grit of your emotions and that pool of grief and the space of darkness. But at the same time there's this, I I like to call it the divine dichotomy of this infinite joy and uh, like visitation of this presence that that you felt at the funeral. Like, how can I be in the darkest place and be on the tallest mountain at the same time? And I think grief is this experience of learning to hold both of these things in your hand and still be alive. Um, It's really wild. So I love, thank you for sharing that story with us. That's just wicked cool. And that's not even like a great enough phrase to describe it. I just think it's so incredible. (laughs) Um, I started to tear up a little bit over here. Um, Mm. But I know this seems like a really good doorway to start opening up into your book, but I kind of want to do some some backstory first about how it got created, because I know you have some history with coaching, with personal growth, with becoming a doctor, <laughs> um, and all these mm-hmm. things that kind of build up to writing the Good Goodbye. So, how did your journey start there, as educating yourself mm-hmm. to educate others on emotions, on our mental health, and our ways of moving about in the world? And then, how did that lead you to to write something as Transformational, as a book called *The Good Goodbye*.
1: Yeah, so that actually started before my mom died. I I knew in high school that I wanted to be a psychologist, and a big motivation that I had was really trying to understand why people suffered. That was really reflective both of my own childhood, uh, where I I did suffer a lot. I had a pretty traumatic childhood, and a, a part of that trauma also came from just having a really hard experience at school where i was bullied for a big chunk of my education and that that bullying for me really shaped me and, and you know actually now that i'm saying it out loud it probably was connected to that you know that fear around death if you look at it very primally it's you don't feel safe when you are being ostracized and you are literally being abused by your peers and you don't feel like you're accepted and you belong. Uh, that really can bring up those primal fears around being isolated and outcast and rejected and unloved. So a lot of that influenced my desire to go into psychology and basically understand my own pain. And I know a lot of people in the healing arts do enter. That you know we call ourselves the the wounded mm-hmm, healers mm-hmm. because we want to make sense of the world. And for me, it was an interesting journey to to just go into this. This profession and find that I had a lot of talents to be able to dive deep with my clients and experience with them some these epiphanies that for, sometimes for the first time they hadn't been able to get to. Um, so many of my clients being able to reveal to me things that they had never shared with another soul in their entire life. I found the work satisfying but at the same time I also knew that it wasn't fulfilling me and the personality that I had. So the other part of Gladys is very organized and driven to success and very high achieving and wanting to see successes happen quickly like like every day. You know for me if I could e- empty my email inbox that was a success and if i could create a spreadsheet that would help organize systems and processes for an organization that was a success and as a psychologist with a private practice you can't necessarily you didn't have those kinds of opportunities so there was a point in my career where i decided to go into academia mainly to keep my feet wet in public speaking and public speaking is one of my biggest passions ever and I ended up as a professor, and much to my surprise, it ended up becoming my career for almost 15 years – where I took on various different roles ranging from academic advisor, department chair of undergraduate studies. And then in my last position, I was the CEO and president of the National Hispanic University in the Bay Area here in California. So yeah, it was pretty incredible. (laughs) Thank you. It was... um, I, it was very surprising. And even to say it now, I I'm still surprised that that is the journey that I took, but clearly I was being called to show up and be of service in ways that I didn't think I, I could. But I learned through that whole process that I I'm here to be a leader. I'm here to shepherd communities through times of change. And interestingly, when I looked back at my career, I had this experience with my mother, right, where I the devastation of losing her, but this profound miracle that I experienced at her funeral and feeling that joy, it became a personal philosophy for me as to how I would deal with change and loss. So anytime there were relationship breakups or even like a job layoff or losing friends, I would just remember that I had the choice to make that experience what I just referred to as a good goodbye. and. I think we've all heard the term, you know, I'm not somebody that coined the term, but it stuck with me. And I thought, okay, I can make this a good experience. And then professionally, I ended up in so many situations where I had to manage large scale crises. And move communities through these different changes that would involve loss. And so one good example was this last position at the National Hispanic University, they had been open for 34 years, and they were a tiny little university, the founder, uh, Dr. Roberto Cruz founded the university with a mission to make it the university that uh, Latinos can go to to get a great education. So they were the first four-year accredited university in the United States dedicated to Latinos. And as a Latina, I thought this is perfect for me. I really want to give to this community. So I started there as the provost. And five months later, I was promoted to president. And then a month after that, uh, my first board meeting is when we learned that there was serious consideration being given to the vitality of the school. They had had a lot of financial difficulties over those 34 years, and they were having to take another really real hard look at the future of this university. And within a matter of months, they did make the decision to close the school down. So here I was new to the university, and now my mandate was to close the school down and shepherd over a thousand people from you know students to employees to community leaders and members through this process of saying goodbye to the school. And I remember at a meeting with the community I said I don't I don't know how to do this. I don't have a manual for how, for how to navigate this situation in my desk. But what I do know is how to have a good goodbye. And that became me bringing in a personal philosophy because it was truly the only thing I knew how to do. And bring it in to have become a strategic initiative for how we close the school down. So at that point, um, in 2015 is when we closed the school down. And throughout that, it was about almost like a two-year journey of closing the school's doors. I was able to witness the community responding positively to this notion of a good goodbye. And my leadership team and I creating strategies and initiatives to be able to give everyone a good goodbye experience. And the term caught on. So I was able to use my experiences professionally and combine it with the research that's out there on transitions and change and loss, and even change leadership and change management, and be able to interview folks, survey people, and use all of that to create an approach, a five-pillar approach that gives people tools for dealing with change and loss differently. That was a beautiful synopsis and such a cool picture of how this
0: came to be. Um, I'm already sensing a little bit of similarity, and maybe you can steer me in the same direction or in another direction uh, between your book, The Good Goodbye, and On Death and Dying, which also contains the five stages "Quote unquote" stages of grief where acceptance is one of them. And this is a big mm-hmm. thing that's misconstrued in the grief mm-hmm. community because people think you move linearly through stages whereas yes. you kind of just float in between yep. a bunch of different buckets. But I don't think Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and her co-author had vocabulary for that back in the day. So there's a lot of misconception uh, surrounding this concept. But but when she talks about acceptance, mm-hmm. and this is actually one of my favorite books on, on death, dying, grief, and grieving, is acceptance is not I'm okay with this, my life is perfect now. It's this is happening. What do I do next? And I think that's really powerful. So can you give us exactly. maybe some clues or uh some hints at what the other four pillars are in your book?
1: Sure. Well, and I'm I'm so glad you brought that up because I do speak about it in my book as well, is that the the way that we took the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's model really spoke to the fact that we were needing something to make sense of how we grieve. Mm -hmm. So I I do think that there's something powerful in that. But as you mentioned, we think that acceptance means it's all complete. We understand it. It's integrated. We accept it. we, We almost condone it. And it's so opposite from what it is. So I share in my book that acceptance simply means recognizing what's in front of you without trying to change it. That's it. What a beautiful definition. I love it. Yeah. Thank you. It's not it's not the whole package. It's not the whole enchilada. It really is, this is what's happening in front of me, period. And when you can sit in that space long enough and not flood it with your judgments about it, your opinions, your shoulds or should nots or the what ifs, you start to experience something very profound, which is the ability to then understand what's happening for you. And understanding is a second pillar. So with understanding, it's really the, the reflective process of, okay, how am I feeling about this, which does require self-awareness. And so that's a whole other process that people need to get to in terms of development. But it, it gives you a chance to just say, okay, how do I want to get through this? And understanding becomes this bridge that you start building from where you are to where you want to be. And in that process of building the bridge and then walking through it, is where you can start to experience things that will help you heal like gratitude. And with gratitude, it's where you start to see that what's happening for you might actually be full of blessings, that you can have appreciation for your experience. That's a form of gratitude, right? To be able to say, I'm feeling angry as hell, but I'm so glad that I can acknowledge my anger and make room for it. That's, that's a form of gratitude that you're expressing towards your own self. When you can get to more gratitude towards yourself, it naturally leads you to have more gratitude towards others in the situation that you're going through. And that can help you lead into uh, the next pillar, which is forgiveness. Um, but one thing I do explain in the book is that the reason I didn't call these steps is because I wanted to get away from people thinking that it was linear. Um, And I call them pillars because you truly can start anywhere. But if people want to think linearly, it's just please try to start with acceptance, right? And then find your own path through these different pillars from understanding gratitude, forgiveness. And ultimately, you will get to a place where then you can say goodbye. So the last pillar is saying goodbye. And that is really recognizing that even though you might have already lost someone or something, you get to choose, you get to stand in your full power and uh, turn back to it and release it through your own goodbye. And that can be a ritual as simple as lighting a candle, writing a letter and burning it or something more elaborate um, to really honor that it's a rite of passage. And that's something that I want people to really walk away with is that any time we go through a change or transition, we are going through a loss so that you can move through this very intentionally in the way that you desire and really come out on the end, being able to close that chapter in a way that feels right for you, but most importantly, integrate the experience into where you're heading as the next chapter unfolds. I like that a
0: lot because I feel like
1: grief is
0: day by day, minute by minute, hour by hour, and everybody does cope differently with what comes up. Some people are, are anger based, some people are sadness or depression based. Some people do what the grief recovery method calls short term energy relieving behaviors where they go shopping or zone out with TV or do food or booze or sex or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. And kind of just navigating your own way through but making sure you start with this is what's happening and end with goodbye. I'm wondering what are some tools or maybe some perspectives that you have that make this goodbye, which is sometimes forced on us, especially with death of loved ones or with divorce or with diagnosis. How do we make goodbye either less unpleasant or more pleasant?
1: I don't know that it can be less unpleasant, but I love the more, adding, adding the pleasant tree within it, right? Because we, we do get focused, so overly focused on goodbyes being negative. And this is something that I break down in my book is that the collective stories that we have around goodbyes in humanity are not serving us well. So if you, if you think about some of the common phrases that people say around goodbyes, like what, what, you know, what comes up when you think of goodbyes? Oh, I hate goodbyes. I don't do goodbyes. Goodbyes make me sad. I don't say goodbye because I don't believe in it. I prefer to say Parting is later. such <laughs> sweet sorrow. Parting is such, yeah. I got theatrical there for a moment. Totally. You know, but maybe, I mean, I actually like that one because if you look at sweet and sorrow, they seem contradictory. But that actually is such a poetic way to describe what goodbyes can be. Hmm right? So, mm-hmm. but it sounds very cliche, right? We're, we're over yes. it. Like we we need, we need new, uh, what are those called? Colloquialisms or yes. metaphors? Yes. To just talk about goodbyes. And this is where, you know, the good goodbye for me really, it's it stuck and it's, it's sticking with people is that there is goodness in it. And I think some tools to help people understand that for me really relate back to my belief that everything that happens in our life is all meant for our highest good. Everything, every single thing, even the worst experiences that we can fathom, they're all happening to help us evolve and help us grow into our highest form of self expression. And we get to choose what we do with those moments. And it, it's hard for us when we're in the midst of deep pain and grief. For example, you know, my mom dying from a brain aneurysm, I didn't choose that. I would never choose that in my entire life, right? I and having her ripped away from me so suddenly where you know Thursday I see her and less than 24 hours she's dead. That kind of experience in the moment. There is no way you could have convinced me that that was for my highest good. I would have said screw you. You know, I I, I don't believe in that. Whoever thinks that's for my highest good, like they're they, they're not a part of my life. But if I look at what I accomplished as a result of this, and November 7th with my mom's 14th year uh, death anniversary, and I was having lunch with my sister. And I was saying to her, you know, I miss mommy. And she said, what do you miss about her? I go, I miss the fact that I can't hug her and see her and touch her and celebrate this moment with her. I said, but at the same time, I also know that none of this would have happened if she was still alive. I wouldn't have written a book." I wouldn't have developed a good-goodbye approach. I wouldn't have gone on the academic path that I did. Nothing would have unfolded the way that it did had she stayed alive. And when you recognize that the universe, God, spirit, Buddha, whatever you believe in is actually on your side, and sometimes intervenes with these big losses to take you into a different direction, because maybe that's the only way that you would have moved or budged from where you thought you wanted to go, you can start to appreciate that, okay, there, there actually is something good for me here. And how do I soften into the goodness so that I can use that to help me as I continue to grieve what, what I've lost and no longer have? Wow. What a gift. Yeah. Yeah. I love
0: it. I've got one last question for you today, and then we'll wrap up and tell everybody where they can find you. But I would like to know what you are currently saying goodbye to. Uh,
1: <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's great, and I, and I look around in my living room. I am saying goodbye to so much of my furniture, and I don't want to make light of it. I'm actually going to explain it because I, I've been paying close attention this past year. I have cleaned out my closet close to ten times, and I'm not a pack rat. I'm hyper organized. But there has been a deep desire for me to clean out and to just have the most essential things that just light my heart up the most, right? So I want space. I want to clear out. I just need space. It's, if you were to see me right now, I'm literally moving my hands, like make more room. I need openness. I need just more around me to, of nothing. And so I'm saying goodbye to a lot of my furniture, which I, I'm attached to because I love collecting beautiful things. But a friend of mine and I, who's actually going through the same process. So we've been helping each other get rid of the things that we love um, so we can have more room. And he said, Gladys, you know, part of what I observed from you is that you're saying goodbye to a a part of yourself. And and I looked at him, I'm like, No, I don't I don't need to say goodbye to any parts of me. What are you talking about? He goes, Well, there's, you know, the old Gladys beforehand. You were in in a corporate career for 15 years. You were definitely burned out. I, I was burned out since 2010. I was dealing with these large-scale crises that definitely when you're dealing with crises in and out every single day in high-pressure position, burnout is not just a guarantee, but your whole nervous system is just shot, right? And since 2010 dealing with that and then 2015 having to close down the university, you know, obviously my career did not get easier, but recovering from all of that meant that I had to look at how, how Gladys had evolved and Gladys was a stress case. Gladys was very tense and walking around the world, very much just, what's a problem? Let's fix it. Let's move on to the next thing. And when I ended my job there, I had to take a lot of time to heal. And here we are in 2017, getting ready to go into 2018. And I feel like I'm finally understanding that I am saying goodbye to an old way of living that sustained me for close to two decades that served me very well. I I have a very accomplished portfolio of professional experiences. Um, I'm the first in my family to be a college graduate, to be a doctor, let alone the president of a university. But the toll it took on me was pretty severe. And I got disconnected from my joy. And so being able to honor that part of Gladys that worked her ass off um, that showed up 2000% to lead communities for change that was tense and stressed out all the time. She's, she's, she can take a rest, right? Like I've, I've really given her permission to lay down. That's what I would say. I'm saying goodbye to. And I think an element of that is letting go of the furniture pieces that maybe were part of my past that, I mean, I had some pieces that I've, I've had for a long time because they had such emotional value that I can let them go as I also release that part of Gladys from needing to constantly be on mm-hmm. guard.
0: I'm getting this um, mental phrase in my head of, and now it's time to breathe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it.
1: Uh, wow, yes. Excellent.
0: Well, as we're wrapping up today, thank you so much for coming on. Let me say that first before anything. Um, But I want to let our listeners know where they can find a copy of The Good Goodbye, as well as anywhere else they can find you on the internet, in person, or otherwise.
1: Yeah. So folks can find my book on Amazon, and it's best to type in my name. So Gladys, G-L-A-D-Y-S. Last name is Otto, A-T-O, and the full name of the book is The Good Goodbye, How to Navigate Change and Loss in Life, Love, and Work. So you will find another book out there that's a novel that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. So just to give people clarification on that. Um, And then to learn more about me and my work, you can visit me at www.drgladisotto.com. So it's drgladisauto.com And for folks that might not be ready for the book yet, or they just want to learn a little bit more about the approach itself and about me and my, my style of work, I do have a free uh, guide for folks that they can download immediately on my website that is actually called A Good Goodbye Blueprint. And it's a roadmap to navigating change and loss. So this is a 30-page blueprint full of resources and strategies and tips that I curated all along my career path and my research to help people apply the good-goodbye approach in their own lives. And I'm also on Facebook, uh, Gladys Auto and Instagram and LinkedIn, and people can reach me directly too. If folks want to reach out and say a quick hello, you can reach me at gladys at drgladysotto.com.
0: That is so perfect. And what a great spot to end for the day. Gladys, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been such a joy to talk to you.
1: Thank you so much. And thank you to your community for letting me be a part of today's experience with you
0: so that is all for this episode of coming back thank you again to dr gladys otto author of the good goodbye for joining us to talk about creating better losses and reminding us that acceptance and love for where we are on the journey is the first step in saying goodbye gladys came back by remembering her mother's joyful presence even in death and leading others through their grief You can find a link to Dr. Gladys Otto's work in the show notes where you can find all of her social media profiles as well as sign up to receive a copy of the Good Goodbye Blueprint, which is a free bonus add-on to her book. Join me for Facebook Live this coming Monday, January 8th at 1 o'clock Central Time. I'll be answering your frequently asked questions about Patreon and showing off the stickers I designed for anybody who'd like to pledge $12 or more per month to the podcast. Thank you so much again to Connie, to Albert, Alyssa, Emily, Ryan, Tanya, and Safina for becoming the first round of coming back patrons on Patreon. You can find a link to my Patreon in the show notes or at patreon.com slash Shelby for Please subscribe and tell a friend about coming back because you never know what someone you love is going through. Thank you always, always to mister Addie Goldstein who composed our theme music. You can find me on Facebook at Shelby for Scythia, Intuitive Grief Guide, Instagram at GriefGuide Shelby for cythia, or simply com. If you'd like to leave a question or a comment for a future show, leave a voicemail or text three one two seven two five three zero four three, or email me at Shelby at Shelbyforcia dot com subject line podcast. As always my dear grief growers it was beautiful sharing this space and time with you today i am so excited to be back in your ears i see you i am proud of you and the work that you're doing in the world and i love you because even through grief we are growing